That morning, in anticipation of the party to be held at their house in the evening, Ruth unearthed the vacuum cleaner from the front closet. She had to move aside a heap of belongings to reach it, umbrellas and boots and musty-smelling coats, as well as Peter's old film projector, heavy as lead in its mossy green case, and half a dozen cartons containing reels of footage from their early days at Derry. A brand-new teacher, then, his enthusiasm like a light inside his face. Peter had recorded everything during those first years. Endless hours of slow-moving football games, canoe races on windy spring afternoons, with the boats shunting jerkily across the lake. The winter evening Robert Frost came to read his poems in the chapel. Mr. Frost had been aloof that night at dinner, attending vaguely to the conversational gambits offered by the school's trustees who had been assembled for the occasion. The meal had been splendid fare by the dining hall's usual standards. Stuffed clams and lobster with melted butter, corn and boiled potatoes, blueberry pie. The evening had been a triumph for Peter, who had arranged it, and an honor for Derry, which then had no real standing among boys' schools of the day, its pupils drawn historically from poor families, rather than the well-heeled aristocracy of New England. The trustees, already worried about the school's financial future, however, had begun to entertain ambitions for wealthier students. And even those men who did not read poetry, which was probably all of them, Ruth had thought at the time, understood that Mr. Frost's appearance conferred distinction on the Derry School, a reputation for intellectual seriousness that the school could not otherwise acquire no matter how much money it raised or how many prosperous families it attracted. Poetry, the reading and writing of it, was understood to be a hallmark of patrician gentility. It was evidence, however baffling to the practical men of industry and commerce who made up Derry's board of trustees at the time, of refinement. They were in search of pedigrees and the resources that came with them. If poetry had to be a part of the bargain, so be it. Mr. Frost had eaten his dinner with apparent appetite, but without saying much, his head bent over the plate. His face was so shut away and expressionless that Ruth imagined he had suffered recently a personal loss of great severity. But when he began to read in the chapel later that night, coming up to the podium after Peter's introduction with the slow steps of a man accompanying a coffin to the grave, His voice was surprisingly strong. Ruth knew that even the Philistines among the trustees could not have failed to be moved. I have been one acquainted with the night, Mr. Frost began. A light was trained on the page before him, and he put his palm against the open book on the podium as if to crack its spine. He paused, then he looked up, and he did not look down again for the duration of the poem. I have walked out in rain, he recited, and back in rain. When he read the line, I have outwalked the furthest city light, Ruth thought that every boy, every teacher sitting in the cold, hard pews of the chapel with its smudged smoke stains on the white walls and its old glass windows full of air bubbles, 
and the tall hurricane globes on the altar containing the candle flames. Every one of the listeners in the chapel that night was made aware of the miles of forest surrounding the school. The tumbled, rocky coast of Maine at the edge of the forest and its terminus at the sea. The black, restless body of the Atlantic Ocean. Surely they felt themselves at that moment as alone as a man could be, Ruth thought, as alone as the lonely speaker of the poem, unwilling to meet the eyes of the night watchman whom he passes in the dark.